basically is we had a prototype of a cooling technology on one of our wax pens called Cyclone. And that kind of was really where we started diving into the retooling of vape devices and kind of making them more functional, more to where it's just like we're daily cannabis users. So we want to basically have a device that we can go to, depend on it every day, and obviously have that great experience and be consistent with that experience every day. And so we just kind of want to meet that standard or create that kind of standard with the devices. There is definitely some existing products that were out there that we kind of, we personally use ourselves or that we we're stoners. We smoke something and then we take a look at something and go, oh, I would tweak this. I would fix this. I would do something around with this. So all those kind of notes that we just kind of been brainstorming personally in our heads for a long time, just kind of now we have an opportunity to basically be able to put the ideas down on paper and then see as if we can create some life out of it. You're listening to To Be Blunt, the podcast for cannabis marketers, where your host Shada Taravi and her guests are trailblazing the path to marketing, educating, and professionalizing cannabis. Light one up and listen up. Here's your host, Shada Taravi. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to the To Be Blunt podcast. I'm your host, Shada Taravi, and today's topic is a juicy one. I feel like vaping has exploded, no pun intended, because yes, unfortunately, sometimes batteries do explode, but I feel like vaping is just everywhere, whether we're talking about nicotine vapes, we're talking about THC vapes, we're talking about different legislative laws and regulations that have been passed against vaping. It is just so fascinating to me how adopted this particular consumption method has become specifically in the cannabis industry, but also how this part of the industry is actually managed and run. And so just because personally I consume a lot of vaping products, it's discreet, it is a concentrated product, you usually have have a higher quality of vape products compared to some of the other products in the market just because of the extraction process that these products go through. But with that, there's also a lot of manipulation when it comes to vaping product. Bad ingredients that are being cut into these vaping cartridges, just the technology itself, whether it's a bad cartridge or a bad battery, then you have kind of the legislative shitstorm that is happening, whether it's here in Texas, we're dealing with a smokable ban at a federal level, we're dealing with the PACT Act, which recently kind of established we are not able to sell vape through the USPS, which now has engulfed UPS and as well as FedEx and other kind of, you know, national shipping services. And just like, holy shit, there's so much when it comes to vaping. So whether you actually vape yourself or you're selling vape products, or you're just trying to navigate this aspect of the industry because you're getting asked a lot of questions, maybe you're a retailer, or maybe you're considering going into the vape side of the cannabis industry. This is a really good conversation for you because one of my good can of friends, Tyler Pro. He is one of the early employees actually of Roken Vapes. They're a vape brand built out of Las Vegas, Nevada. And marijuana is fully rec, fully medicinal. And this company is still family owned. And they've really grown to be one of the leading vape brands here in the United States. And I love picking Tyler's brain. He is just like one of the smartest people I know when it comes to cannabis in general, but especially with vapes. Every time I see him, also full disclosure, we sell a ton of Roken Vapes at Restart CBD, which is originally how our relationship 
started. Tyler was our sales rep and would come down to Austin and visit us from time to time. And y'all know me, I'm just super curious and love to pick people's brains. And so Tyler was that lucky subject who I was like, hey, you're in vapes and I want to understand more about this part of the industry. So I've been very eager to get him on the podcast just to pick his brain for all of you guys to benefit from just what he is experiencing, what he's learned, helping grow Roken's brand to being really national. I mean, they're like one of the leaders in terms of vape technology. They've got a lot of really cool new products that we obviously get to try and see a lot up close and personal just because we carry their products in our store. But just again, as someone who's navigating the cannabis industry, it's really exciting to see what they've been able to do and deliver not only to the consumers, but really to the market in general. So again, super stoked to have Tyler on the show because we just dive into basically everything I cover, you know, vape manufacturing, vape quality, batteries, cartridges. We talk about the PACT Act. We talk about the vape crisis and Tyler also in the end. So stay tuned to the end touches on kind of some of the things that are upcoming in the Nevada cannabis market. And there is something really cool that Nevada is doing that just got passed that is rolling out soon. And I'm going to Las Vegas in a couple months for a few cannabis shows that are kicking off and really excited to go experience this up close and personal for myself. So let's welcome Tyler to the show and dive right in. My name is Tyler Crow. I am actually the West Coast sales manager for Roken Vapes or Roken Inc., but basically handle pretty much everything west of the Mississippi is all my account territory and everything like that. Austin, lovely restart is definitely one of my uh, favorite businesses and accounts that I deal with out of Austin, Texas. So thank you for having me. So how I got into the cannabis business, actually the owners of Roken, I actually managed a couple of their optical, high-end optical sunglass shops here in Nevada. And just kind of over the course of the eight years of managing those stores, Christmas parties, Thanksgiving, kind of weekend events and stuff, we, hey, you smoke? And oh, yeah, I smoke and find out that we really love to smoke (laughs) and that we have a lot of commonality on that. And it just, um, stoners always seem to click once you find out another stoner and you're like, hey, we could be friends for sure. There's something about you I like. And just at the time, I know that they have kind of back burner for a couple of years. They've talked, and even with our other sales rep that they were friends with for a long time, there was talks of Roken and creating a vape company and stuff like that, but nothing ever kind of took hold. And then until it was kind of around 2013, 14, 15 era, that's where we saw retail, brick and mortar retail, just in general, malls across the US, just online dominance of sunglass shops and online sales and stuff like that. And just retail in general really started to kill the malls. And then obviously our stores being inside malls and stuff that really impacted us. And so we dealt with the retail ebbs and flows of selling certain retail products. So the chatter of legalization of Nevada and coming into a medical market here started to pick up in Nevada a lot more. And so we kind of basically the owners, Daryl and Larry and his brother, Alex, they kind of basically put together and said, well, hey, we're thinking about starting this bait company kind of deal. And would you be interested in it? And I was graduating college around the same time. And I was already manager, lived in Vegas already and smoked tons of cannabis and had lots of relationships already in the back end. So connection wise, there's definitely a lot of people and it literally fell in my lap how I got into the cannabis industry. And basically, we just started taking Roken from day one. And it was, hi, my name's Tyler. I sell Roken. Would you like to take a look at some of our products? And that's legitimately, that's how we've done it. 
And we've done it since like that since day one, and it's worked very well for us. But some of the cannabis aspects of getting into the Nevada markets, obviously, it was one of the first states to kind of adopt the full rec aspect of the cannabis, I guess, side of business legal market wise. So we've definitely had a whole slew of just different businesses, brands and coming through this state and Honestly, timing was just right and really beneficial to be in a first mover advantage, I guess, scenario with being in a state that adopted cannabis legalization first. So being first at the table is always nice. You know, you kind of not only is your direction and your voice kind of helping, but it also it steers the direction of the long run of where this cannabis industry is going to be 50 years, 100 years down the road. So really cool to work with a lot of people that are in the beginning of it and seeing these people, their businesses flourish and see them take on. But it's really even more cooler or interesting, I think, is watching these new markets adopt what some of these brands have done and they're taking their leads of examples and they're adopting them into their states and even some of the laws that they're writing with how how things are run and how things are managed and stuff. So Nevada, it's a great state. I love Vegas. Reno too as well. Don't want to neglect Reno. They got great people up in Reno. Tahoe is extremely beautiful. But Vegas, it's been very lucrative and very opportunity rich. So it's a great place to launch a business to come and and I guess test the waters in the cannabis business <laughs> to see how it is. Yeah, I love it. Obviously, I'm a fan of y'all's because we do sell Roken at our CBD shop here in Austin. So that's kind of how our relationship started, which I do like to always highlight for my listeners where I can, you know, the connection points. It's like you're networking, you're out there. And I've learned so much from you just coming into our shop and talking to us about vapes. And that's definitely like an impetus for wanting to bring you on the podcast because I think there's so much mystery around vaping. It's obviously also very popular. And so before getting into kind of vape in general, I want to get a little bit better understanding too from you. Like I remember my mom asked me this question because I told her I was going to interview you for the podcast. She's like, oh my gosh, we love Tyler. I was like, yes, we do. She's like, she goes, do you remember where we first found Roken? And I was like, no, I don't really honestly remember, but I feel like I've been using a Roken vape for ever. Like as long as I've been vaping, I feel like I've had a Roken vape in my hand and Part of it is because the design, I think the yeah, little the tanks little are kind of the first design that I saw that was really different compared to a pen. But also I love just like the color options, just love the branding. And so I had seen you in Colorado. That was kind of my first experience with Roken, but kind of back us through the journey a little bit more. You know, when did Roken found like the company? It's a family run brand. You highlighted the guys involved with their family members. And then like, what was that timeline in comparison to legalization in Nevada? Also excluding, you know, you don't just sell to Nevada, you sell nationally, maybe even internationally. So what was it like going to market, building a vape company the kind of second half of that, which I'll save as a second part of the question, but just to kind of like connect dots is most vape from my understanding is really being not necessarily manufactured exclusively, but like the brands all come from overseas. You find very few brands actually operating in America. So that kind of bringing it full circle, why and how did Roken launch when they did? And what was that journey like? Okay. Yeah. So Roken launched in 2016. That's basically officially time the year that we launched, but the concept and everything I got, I think they've been brainstorming this for like since 2005. So it's been quite a while that they've had, but getting into the whole vape side of it, we had 
couple of wax pens that we started out with and stuff. Basically, we had a prototype of a cooling technology on one of our wax pens called Cyclone. And that kind of was really where we started diving into the retooling of vape devices and kind of making them more functional, more to where it's like we're daily cannabis users. So we want to basically have a device that we can go to depend on it every day and obviously have that great experience and be consistent with that experience every day. And so we just kind of want to meet that standard or create that kind of standard with the devices. There is definitely some existing products that were out there that we kind of, we personally use ourselves or that we we're stoners. We smoke something and then we take a look at something and go, oh, I would tweak this. I would fix this. I would do something around with this. So all those kind of notes that we just kind of been brainstorming personally in our heads for a long time, just kind of now we have an opportunity to basically be able to put the ideas down on paper and then see as if we can create some life out of it. And so, yeah, you're right with the manufacturing pretty much. If you're going to get brand wise into making margins to where it's, it's you're making money off of this. Yeah, everything's made in Shenzhen, China, overseas factory. There's hundreds of factories. There's high end ones. There's very low end ones. Definitely, obviously, knowing the manufacturers and doing your research, look who's certified Certifications are up to date, manufacturer standards are meet US manufacturing standards, all these kind of criteria. Suppliers that what's their connections with material sourcing and stuff like that. Is that material sourcing legit? Is it safe? Does it meet uh, safety standards and testing and all that regulations? And you know that we have here in the US, obviously for consumers to make sure everything's safe. But from our sunglass business, we had some experience with some manufacturing over in China and dealing with some of these guys. So just basically plugging away and just kind of just same reason why you say Vegas is such a great place to come to the networking, the more you network and the more you get out and stuff, the more doors possibilities that can open up for you. And you never know where this door will lead. You don't go in it now, but five years down the road, you say, Hey, yeah, I still kind of, I'm in touch with this guy and you still kind of have some stuff. I'd like to go check out and see is if there's something that we could work out, or maybe he can provide me a part that can be beneficial with this other manufacturer that I'm working with kind of deal. So the manufacturing, everything like that, if you know, start the connections and start calling around and networking, do your homework kind of deal. Now it's, it's pretty much these guys find you. <laughs> they kind of, they'll get your info, they'll get your contact and you'll get blown up by hundreds of factories that are trying to get your business and trying to, hey, check out this new product or check out this new design kind of deal and all of this. Some of the elements, I guess, where we kind of stand out is, is obviously we consume cannabis here. Over in China, they don't. So there's a lot of these vape devices and stuff like that. So they got good starts. They got good footings. But then there's a lot of details and retooling, the heating elements and a lot of these kind of things to get the better vape experience. That's kind of basically that's where we really shine. We can take prototypes and stuff like that and we can tell them, no, we want this and this and this. We want you to switch out this, redesign it this way. We want it to work with a smaller battery. You know, all of this size for portability and function is a big thing too. But portability, that all just matters just getting the right manufacturers and working with the right people. I would definitely say loyalty is a big thing because as soon as you get a hot product, there's always a slew of people just waiting to copy you and rip you off. So it's just having the manufacturers, the relationships with those manufacturers that basically understand that. And they know this is like, no, we're not going to sell off your design. They understand branding. 
They understand the power behind branding and what it can do for them carrying a quality brand name. And so this is obviously finding those relationships in the manufacturing is key. That I can't stress that enough. That's probably the biggest thing that you can have, at least with working with a manufacturer overseas. So... Yeah, I don't know where I watched. I mean, I consume a lot of cannabis and I would say probably in the last like four or five years, I've been a vapor with cartridges and concentrates pretty much exclusively. I still like flour, but I like vaping. It's very convenient. It's very discreet. So I understand the market for vaping. But so I was fascinated to obviously always learn more again, which is kind of like why I appreciate our friendship because you work in vaping. You understand it better than anybody I know. You know getting into the manufacturing of why there's you know certain things part of the cartridge and why certain cartridges are good versus bad and kind of where this conversation is going, reflecting on being in a retail setting. I know how finicky vaping can be. I have customers who come to me and they just don't understand why their cartridge doesn't work in the battery or why the battery doesn't work or why the certain temperature, this, that, and the other. And so I remember watching this documentary and it was talking about the origin kind of the vaping device. And you kind of touched on it when you were saying China manufactures vapes in general for tobacco use versus the cannabis side of it. And so that's kind of the differentiator where y'all come in and have this unique market, you know, value opportunity. But reflecting on China's involvement with vaping, I mean, they're it. And you kind of mentioned yeah. margins. Is that the only reason or do they have a like, why do they have a monopoly? Why are vapes all manufactured in China? And again, from my understanding, there's not a lot of, yes, I understand there's high quality manufacturers, low quality manufacturers, but really when I observe it comes down to it, there's not a lot of variability in the cartridges. There's not a lot of variability in the batteries, maybe design-wise, maybe tweaking here and there, but it seems like, you know, there's 10 types of carts out there. There's, you know, six or seven types of battery designs. And then you kind of back it out and they're all done in China. And so I'm talking to customers and they're like, well, why doesn't this work? And I have to be, well, it's all kind of coming from the same place. So, you know, there's not a lot of diversity or variation to it. And so it's kind of like I shrug and I'm like, it is what it is, but we don't know a lot about it. And so I'm just curious from your experience being in that world, like why is vaping isolated to that part of the world? And is that good? Is that bad? Is it just kind of the necessary evil? Like what's kind of your perspective of it? So there is definitely is one of the tariffs, you know, when Trump enacted the Chinese tariffs and stuff like that. So there was basically some big chatter that was talking about is relocating, moving to maybe uh, Philippines or Taiwan or India, even maybe Mexico, these kind of deals. Obviously, you know, labor costs in these regions and everything always seems to be a benefactor. It's why most manufacturing, all your electronics and everything that are over in China. Um, A lot of it is just because the material sourcing, it's there. So you have uh, mold warehouses or mold manufacturers, then you have finish factories and stuff like that. And so you have people that they might not do the finished product or the end result, but they'll make all the parts and the supplies and the raw base of that device. And then they send all the material sourcing over to another factory. And then this factory puts everything together. You know, odd one interesting thing is, is right now is I don't know if you might've heard, and this impacts everything, anything that you're touching right now, electronic wise, from your phones to your vehicles, to your vape batteries is chip manufacturing. There is a massive 
massive shortage right now in chip manufacturing, and it has caused major headaches with a lot of electronics manufacturers and suppliers. So much so there's a company just announced they're opening up a billion dollar chip factory just because the demand is so high that there's investment interest in saying, hey, let's get into this business. Most of these chips are made here in the US and then they ship them back over to China. So it's very interesting is is, uh, certain elements of devices and stuff like that are made in certain regions that have higher costs, but then it seems to be in other regions where the finishing product and everything like that seems to be lower to make a business basically to where you can pay everybody. You got to have margins. They provide the best margins. So that's where you go. Yeah, no, it makes sense. It makes sense. It's just one of those things. I remember going to CBD Expo in Miami, I think it was two years ago now, and it happened to be an expo run by like former vape industry people. So there was a heavy influence on vaping vendors at the show. And you started realizing every vendor who was selling vapes was from China. And again, it's stuff, like you said, it like all your electronics, they're all manufactured overseas. So it's not so like, I'm not saying it from a negative perspective. I'm just pointing out where things are kind of bottlenecked perhaps, or maybe derived. And I think as a consumer, you don't really realize all these different nuances, like kind of same, same, but different. I feel like when I go buy a cartridge at a legal marijuana dispensary and my cartridge doesn't properly fit into my battery, I get a little safety pin and I will toggle the cartridge. Like I know to do those things, but like my customers from a hemp CBD perspective, they hear, you know, smoking or vaping is the most fast acting. They feel that it's discreet. They want to try that type of product, but then they come back and they're like, oh, the cartridge didn't work. And I'm like, well, you know, did you try toggling it with a safety pin? Like, did you try a different battery? Like, did you try a preheat function? Are you using the right heat temperature? Like there's just so much user Error. error. That's more inherent when it comes to vaping and then trying to explain to people like there's not a lot of variation in it either. Like there's really only a handful of cartridge manufacturers. So depending on whose product you're buying and what cartridge they're choosing to put their product in, even if your product is coming from like the highest quality California extractor grown, whatever, or Nevada grown, whatever, the cartridge matters. And then that cartridge in the battery especially matters. So it's just a very interesting kind of like deduction when you start to peel back the curtains on vaping in general, which kind of, I guess, will dovetail into my next question. We're not in the middle of a vape crisis by any means, but we've certainly been in a vape crisis. From your perspective, what are some of the observations that that you've seen that have gotten us into that scenario slash how have we kind of overcome some of that maybe due to regulations or just better education? Like people, again, they love to vape, right? Undeniably, the cart, it's super convenient. Definitely is popularity. It will never go away. It's just, it's too convenient. It's very discreet. It's just very convenient. That's that I could say with it. And you're right with the types of carts and stuff like that. Some of the major players in the cart market right now is C-Cell, who is actually a s'more manufacturing over in China. C-Cell was actually, so say how C-Cell came around was s'more manufacturing had a line of cartridges. The cartridge that got the most popular and got the most notoriety was the C-Cell line. So it was actually a model number of C-Cell. 
And then that's what everybody just called it and everything like this. And then they turned it into the brand. And then so you have companies out here now in the U.S. that act as the American distribution arm for s'more manufacturing over in China. And those companies, you got like uh, Jupiter Research based out of Scottsdale. You got 3Win, Kush Supply, which just got bought out by Green Lane. And I'm sure there's a couple of other ones, smaller guys that push C-cell carts. But C-cell, it's the ceramic cell or the core ceramic heating element. They're the real ones that develops the kind of the more widely adapted heating method in the cartridges to where it's a wire inside ceramic. It's not exposed. So your oil concentrates and everything, your turp flavors aren't actually going to be heating the metal directly. So your flavor aspects are going to taste a million times better. They actually taste like what they're supposed to and not some burnt kind of device. And then so a lot of the times you have with cheaper end carts and stuff like that, the internals of these devices, wiring is a big thing. People use niochrome titanium wiring. It's a nickel-based wire. It's going to kind of taste a little funky. It gets super hot really fast. But depending, again, how that wire is actually heating up the element and what your concentrates actually touch first, that's going to dictate on how your flavor with the type of cartridge that you're using and stuff like that, you know, price point also make a big impact. Certain brands want to just have the most margin that they want. So they buy these really cheap end carts and stuff. So one of our big focuses is with Roken is just to make that kind of consumer part a little bit more easier to where it's just, there is no kind of unknown factors for the individual. So like some of the things that you were talking about, I mean, it's just like taking a cart and putting it in the battery and it's not working. You don't know if it's the battery or you don't know if it's the cart. You're switching out carts going around left and right. Well, like with our dial battery, with Roken's dial battery, when you put the cart in, you see how that light flashed? So that tells you that you have a good connection on the back. The light flashes on the back, lets you know you got a good connection. So you're good to go and you're ready to vape. If you don't see that going, your cart's an issue going on with the connection on the bottom of your cart. You need to check it. Either take it back to where you got it from or bring it in here. But kind of bringing it back to the vape crisis, I know we're kind of out of that. But the big thing was is just the convenience, the popularity of these carts overshadowed what the legal cannabis market was. And so obviously black market loves this stuff too as well. And so without these states participating or getting involved and in passing legislation to enact some sort of cannabis businesses to operate within their state, you have no choice, but these black market people thrive. And so these guys don't care about safety. They don't care about all of this. They don't have any liabilities. These guys are pushing shit off the streets and into your hand and wanting to make the most money. And it's always the lingo. It's, oh, well, I got this from my homie. So I trust it. And it's like, well, your homie got this from some other homie that got this from some other homie. Who do you know? How many homies do you know? Do you trust that this is legit? And so a big market was, is like, well, this cannabis oil shit is big. I can get a lot for a liter of THC. I can get a lot for that. And it's like, well, I could sell these a half gram cart or a gram cart for 50 bucks out in a black market. There is no taxes. There is no fees. There is none of this. It's all straight cash to my pocket. And then so you get these black market cartel stuff, start working in these states, these legal states to where they can actually get the supplies and stuff like that. And then they start shipping everything out. I know a big thing was, is like in Southern California, they were doing a lot of rightfully so it makes sense of where do you get all this supplies from? But it was a lot of the Asian cartel aspect in Southern California that was pushing a lot of this black market stuff. And these guys had underground labs and multi-million dollar mansion homes and stuff in really nice neighborhoods that you would have never thought that this was a lab.
lab. They're sitting here producing oils and stuff like that, but they get all the packaging to make it look like it's a legit product. They have all the supplies and these connections and stuff like that, and they have them overseas too. And so they come out and then off onto the black market, definitely carrying around a box, say, full of a thousand carts has no odor has there's I can conceal this a lot smaller than I could a couple pounds of flour. So yeah, just the non aspect or states not getting involved in the cannabis is what really allowed the vape crisis to thrive and pushed a scenario to where is is your unsafe products, people can consume them all the time, you don't know what's in them. You don't have companies being held liable for testing results or any of this kind of stuff. So the big push to get rid of that is to definitely, obviously, adapt legalization in every state, trust and build relationships with good brands that actually have good testing results, certifications to know where their stuff is coming from, the materials, even the types of material that's in the cart. You got your metals, your ceramics, are all these stainless steel medical grade materials, it's a Pyrex glass, all of this kind of stuff. But this is something that in legal markets, brands that have liability, all of this kind of stuff that can fall back onto them, we ensure that these products are up at safety standards and that they meet certain levels to where we don't have vape crisis happening. But, you know, the vitamin E acetate was the big issue in those carts. It's just a cutting agent. It's a cheap cutting agent that I can sit here and uh, fill my carts up for less money and that these guys would go out and push it around and sell. Yeah, I think definitely the media hype got out enough to where it scared the shit out of people to where they're like, oh, now that's a street cart. Like, oh, no, I'm okay. I'm not going to touch that. Now there is still people that love it. They got that trusted homie and now they'll use the carts, but that's only in the THC game. Now I would like to honestly hear like some more experience with you and the Delta eight and the Texas uh, Delta eight bad and how it's going out there and everything. Quick break to say thank you to Restart CBD for sponsoring this podcast. Restart CBD is a brand my sisters and I founded in our hometown in Austin, Texas. We operate a retail location as well as an e-commerce store, and you can browse our wide range of CBD products at restartcbd.com. Again, thank you to Restart for allowing me the time and resources to put on To Be Blunt. I hope you'll check them out for your CBD needs. Let's go back to the episode. I was just about to go there. Yeah, great question. So yeah, I'm glad you kind of brought that up because that's where I was exactly going to go because you painted a really great picture in terms of the black market and kind of where this creation of the black market is coming from, especially with regulation, you're able to get products to consumers for really cheap and you don't have to give a shit about what's the ingredients or what the quality of the mechanics of the cartridge or the battery or whatever component you're selling is. And there's a market for it because people, especially underage, also want to buy a cart because it's cool and trendy to vape. And so from a Texas perspective, we're dealing with a few things that kind of cross this conversation, right? So I think it was COVID took a whole year out of everybody's life. So I'm like, was it a year ago? Maybe not. We had a smokable ban in Texas be placed, which would prohibit all smokable products from retail sale. So that happened, I believe, August of 2020. No, I think it was 2019. Don't quote me on the dates, y'all. But we had the smokable ban put in place. And 
Then there were a couple companies that sued the state saying it was unlawful for them to do so. And then the judge presiding over the case put a pause on the ban. So we've been able to sell smokables in Texas since that has kind of been going up and down, but there's still no net outcome on what's happening with smokables in general. So as you can imagine, if there's a ban on it, it's going to for sure push a black market. Then on top of it, you have the Delta 8 situation. I don't want to call that a crisis. It's certainly murky. And I've talked a lot about it on the podcast. But kind of the recent update with that is we had our legislative session two weeks ago at this point. By the time this airs, it'll be a couple weeks since. But we had the legislative session wrap up and we had two bills. There were three bills in total related to cannabis. We had two bills that had an amendment added that would illegalize Delta 8 officially from a law perspective. Now, those bills ended up getting killed. There was a lot of back and forth, a lot of hoopla, a lot of crap going on. Now, where it sits is Delta 8 is not illegal by the law, but our regulatory body, the Department of State Health Services, who's regulating hemp, we get our retail license through dishes. They are coming out and saying, based on the DEA's ruling of Delta 8, we are referring to it as a synthetic and synthetics are illegal. So as you, I'm sure, have heard, states like Colorado have come forward and fully illegalized it. There's other states that have now, I think there's like seven or 11 states total that have come out and illegalized Delta 8. At first, you know, I don't want to say that Delta 8 is good in all accord because I do think with any cannabis product, there's bad players and people are manipulating it and they're taking advantage of it. But kind of going back to what you were saying too about regulation, it's like if Texas would just legalize, obviously full cannabis would be great, but like let us have access to smokables, then you wouldn't be pushing these things into the black market. So my belief is by illegalizing Delta 8 or removing it from the legal market where there are players like myself who have to have a license to be in good standing and I don't want to jeopardize my license. So I don't want to sell anything that could get me in trouble. So I'm going to third-party tests. I'm going to make sure my vendors are high quality, continue to do networking in the industry, just make sure everything is checks and balancing. By illegalizing it, you're officially pushing it into the black market because there's a lot of people who don't give a shit about any of those things, their quality of those things. So we're kind of in a weird holding pattern right now where we don't really know where Dishes is going to net out with Delta 8, kind of at a federal level. Obviously, DEA has said some things about Delta 8, but the DEA to the FDA, there's still some questions to be answered. And then kind of throwing it back to you, if you want to talk about Delta 8 slash also address the PACT Act, which impacts everybody. So kind of, again, to reflect from a Texas perspective, we have a smokable ban that's still in place, but it's pause on the ban. So I'm able to sell smokables for the foreseeable future. Then you have this potential Delta 8 ban, which primarily people are consuming Delta 8 in cartridges. Again, I know most people know this about Delta 8, but just for you know the efficacy of the conversation, Delta 8 is a minor, minor, minor cannabinoid. It does not exist in high ratios organically. And so it has to be essentially created. It is a created cannabinoid. And one of the better ways to consume it is through vaping. For example, we do sell Delta 8 flour, but the flour is essentially sprayed with the Delta 8 product versus the cartridge. It's the pure concentration of that Delta 8 cannabinoid. So it's much more convenient for the consumer to be smoking Delta 8 carts. And so again, you see this like, well, if the smoking ban goes into place, well, you're not going to have Delta 8 carts anymore. But then you have the PACT Act, which now I can't ship my vape products across state lines. So already I'm like, well, I can't ship my Delta 8 or my vape in general into Colorado but now I can't ship my vape anywhere. And so I imagine that that adds more complexity to your business. It certainly adds complexity to our business. I don't know how you guys navigate the PACT Act or if you want to kind of explain kind of from your perspective what the PACT Act is and what it does to the vaping industry. It is 
a wrecking ball. <laughs> it is coming. Agreed. And essentially, you know, it's a lot of the legal cannabis markets. They operate off a system that they call as metrics. Metric, and it's a track, see to sale tracking system. Massive undertaking of tracking and data collection, keeping these records and invoices. Well, basically, the PACT Act is essentially created that now for the ancillary paraphernalia business, the vaping industry. So the PACT Act, just so people know, it's the Prevent All Cigarette Trafficking Act. And so this was to stop the illegal sales of tobacco and then obviously the tax avoidance and dodging of cigarette. Uh, tax with modern electronics and the vaping movement coming into play. You had a lot of now to where it wasn't cigarettes being consumed, it's nicotine juice. And these guys, a lot of the times, are circumventing state taxes, tobacco laws, and all of this kind of stuff. So, with that, since 2009 till now, there has been this kind of gray area to where these vaping companies and selling this nicotine juice, a lot of mom and pop stuff was doing it. These guys aren't having to pay all these fees and licenses and all this kind of stuff. And, and going over all these regulations, what a cigarette company would has to do, and they have to meet because of the federal government putting all these restrictions. So they're basically, you got tobacco companies on one hand going, hey, this is unfair, while you have other guys going, well, we're the healthier option and we're the better for your kind of deal. So don't come after us kind of deal. Well, Money wins all states want their money. And here comes the PACT Act. And basically, each state, with how it regards to vaping laws, each state has their own vaping laws. They have their own taxes that they implement. Each one is completely different. Being a national brand, what this has done for us is basically now the PACT Act forces us to keep records in each 50 states that we sell in. We have to keep a record in. Now, some of these states, will take this stuff and they're going to file it and actually do what they want. There's some states that are telling us they don't give two shits. Yeah, you can send in the paperwork. We'll put it in a filing cabinet. If the federal government wants to come after us and say, hey, where's your audit? Where's your records? Yeah, they're over there in the filing cabinet. Go knock yourself out for it. But they're not really enforcing too much. But now we being in Nevada, we are in the strictest vaping state here. All vaping devices have a 30% tax here. So yes, everything, anything nicotine oriented, anything that can turn a liquid or a solid into an aerosol is considered a vaping device that got lumped into the 30% vaping tax too as well. So Nevada has the strictest vaping, I guess, regulations. We've already been audited by the state a couple of times. These guys come in, flash their badge, say, I want to see your inventory and all this kind of stuff. I want to see your records. We even actually just got a call from the state the other day over a $30 discrepancy on an invoice from major national distributor that we sell in another state. And so they're coming through the records and stuff like that. But the PACT Act, where it really kind of made passable hurdle for a lot of the smaller businesses, the smaller mom and pop guys, to do it was the shipping. USPS, basically part of it, the PACT Act says that USPS can't ship any vaping devices or nicotine products. So essentially that goes your small mom and pop businesses, they use USPS. It's a great affordable shipping. So for business-wise and stuff like that, if you wanted to do a shipping, you can get like a third-party shipping person to do it. But this comes into, if it was to say, you were selling to a customer online 
and shipping to their house directly. It would have to be age verification, just like you're buying alcohol. It has to be 21 plus the delivery. You have to sign for it. You have to show a photo ID and all of that kind of stuff. But the problem is, is, is that shipping cost to do that kind of age verification, all that costs a lot of money. More so, it costs more than what some of these batteries even cost. So is this now, is this what your $20 battery that you were buying online is now all of a sudden coming to be like $45 with the shipping costs and all these fees and stuff? Well, it's just cheaper for me now just to go buy this from the store and not buy it online. So that obviously causes a massive issue with a lot of online retail vaping businesses and stuff like that. But the PACT Act it is all dependent on the guidance issued from the USPS. And currently, right now, the USPS has not issued any guidance. So the PACT Act right now currently is not going or it's not being enforced technically. Now, from a business aspect, branding wise and stuff, that some advice for smaller individuals would be is to make sure that you're still having your ducks in a row though with each state that you're operating in because basically how it works is PACT Act gets passed. The states now have to abide by the PACT Act. Well, the states aren't going to go, well, I'm not paying for the enforcement and I'm not doing, I'm not sending my police around and all this kind of stuff, blah, 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 blah. So the federal government goes, okay, well, then we will send in the ATF to enforce this kind of stuff on the businesses. You collect all these records and you tell us the bad players in this and we'll go and enforce these fees and the regulations and make sure they're playing by the rules. You know, this definitely helps stomp out a lot of the cartel business, you know, a lot of illegal business, mob dealings and stuff like that. There's a lot of that kind of back end. They make a lot of money off the vice industry. So if as many vices are out there that are not in a regulated market, there's lots of potential of money to be made. So doing all of this kind of helps weed out a lot of this bad organizations and stuff like that, making money off of these kind of dealings. But currently right now, yeah, USPS is holding on and they haven't issued a guidance or anything like that. I think they're kind of seeing that there are, uh, they make a lot of money <laughs> off of this. So killing this kind of business, it hurts their pocketbook quite a bit too. So, but yeah, that's currently right now is just where we're at. We're kind of in limbo, just kind of with you at the Texas stuff, PACT Act. Now, unfortunately, the PACT Act also includes CBD products that there is no exemptions for cannabis products or anything because obviously cannabis is still federally illegal but even it's what's odd is is that they even still say cbd can't be even though it's cbd is legal so it's very interesting to see that and then also too is you get big players like amazon now all of a sudden coming in and talking about well how else does amazon ship their weed they ship it so it's as if less they're doing their own third party stuff, kind of shipping wise, I would say shipping weed is going to be a thing. So to kind of ban shipping with it, I don't see it holding out in the long run, personally. We'll see. Yeah, it's been really interesting just navigating it because it seems like things. I'm glad you mentioned the part about the USPS not actually like having their ruling yet because that was a piece of information that I just found out about maybe the end of last week because we stopped shipping vape. I mean, we want to, again, be a good steward. We want to, you know, listen to the laws as, you know, ridiculous as they might be. I understand part of that is trying to settle out and figure out, you know, what is the best path forward for the industry. But yeah, realizing that vape was very broad <laughs> and then it encompassed CBD. It's like WTF, like this is one of the major, you know, 
products we sell and we want to be able to continue to sell those products. Well, and it's like, even ours is like, since day one, you can look at all the packaging and go look at the products at your shop and stuff. On the back of all of our packages, it says not for tobacco use. We have had that on our very first product since day one. We have always adamantly said this is we are a cannabis vaping company. Our whole purpose is to vape cannabis products. Has nothing to do with nicotine, tobacco. We don't want any kind of thing. But nope, even in here in the state of Nevada, we got to register on the OTP list, other tobacco product list to be able to sell here in the state of Nevada. If we don't have that, the state comes after us and can fine us, can pull our business license. They can basically shut us down. So there's all these kind of things, even though we're not a tobacco product, we get lumped into it. And so I definitely, as more legalization happens and stuff like that, I feel like there is definitely going to be some amendments pushed into some of these laws that it's like, hey, you got to have some exemptions for cannabis products. You can't sit here and legalize and create all these businesses and then tell them, oh, hey, by now the way you're operating, that's illegal on a law that you pass later on after these businesses set up. You can't. It just doesn't seem fair. But then again, it's the government. (laughs) Yeah. It's two-faced, but I do think that they're arguing, I think a little bit that it's to prevent minors from purchasing vapes online. I think your argument of, you know, like we're explicitly not tobacco, we are cannabis. That's almost difficult for Texas to stomach because they're like, whoa, 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 we don't even want you smoking cannabis in the first place. Like you guys are crazy trying to smoke this plant. And so it just gets into all these different nuances and all the regulations and keeping track of the law and trying to navigate, yeah, like how do you ultimately create a brand or create a product that you can bring to market in the safest way possible? And like, who's your consumer? Are you going to be direct to consumer? Are you distributed? Are you, you know, localized to your geographical area because of the products that you're selling? And so just knowing how big vaping is both personally in my life, as well as just, you know, kind of in the industry, obviously like loved having this conversation with you because it's really topical, especially with the PACT Act's kind of like recent passing and also just kind of like limbo. There's a lot of us who are just like, what do we do? What's happening? What can we ship? What can't we ship? Like what's happening in the industry? So yeah, definitely. I appreciated that deep dive. But to wrap up, I wanted to ask you to revisit what we were talking about before we were recording. You were talking about... Vegas, but really it's Nevada introducing smoke lounges. And you mentioned that there was, was it a council that voted it in or presented it to the state? Like, how did that work? Because like in Texas, we can't pass new laws. It's not like a vote on the community or the citizens of Texas. Like I can't vote for something to be added in to law or regulation. It has to go through our legislative process. So kind of what is that process like in Nevada as well as what is the current cannabis regulation? I didn't realize vaping was as stringent in Nevada. I don't know what else kind of Nevada has operationally differentiating them compared to, let's say, your neighbors in California or what's been going on in Colorado, these other legal states. So yeah, definitely. So with the passing of Nevada, we passed recreational cannabis 2017. But then we told that public consumption is not allowed. Well, so this is we have a bunch of millions of tourists that come here that are going to buy cannabis, but now you're telling them, well, congratulations, you bought cannabis, can't fly home with it, and you can't consume it in public. Also, really, what kind of business are you thinking this is going to chum up here? What kind of tax revenue do you think is really going to happen with this? So obviously, people still smoking weed out in public, still people, it caused major issues for the casinos. They got a lot of people coming back into the hotel rooms. 
still do. And they smoke out in the hotel rooms. You walk up in the elevators. Even now you go see some of the, one of the weed conventions come into town to trade shows. You walk into some of these hotels, you're like, smells like dabs up in here. <laughs> I can definitely smell what kind of uh, customers in this <laughs> what conference right is going but, on uh, right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely stands out. So for the long time, so since 2017, everybody's here going, we want lounges, we want lounges, we want lounges. Biggest proponent that we have fighting against us is the casinos. They don't want outside, they don't want money to be leaving the strip and stuff like that. So there's a lot of obviously the alcohol lobbying groups and stuff like that. They got a massive stronghold here too as well with the nightclubs and all of this. This is big thing. They don't want another vice to come into the state to take away from that kind from their revenue. So I appreciate you getting the chance to bring up awesome organization. It's a nonprofit uh, group called the Chamber of Cannabis here in Nevada. Basically, it is a coalition of just some very awesome, knowledgeable, very hardworking major players, key people in the Nevada industry that's basically just getting together. A lot of industry workers just tired of seeing kind of how the laws and the, the stagnation with some of the rollouts with us being able to consume cannabis freely. And so we basically got just started getting together and getting people together, getting businesses to contribute and stuff. And then they did some great work getting lobbyists and working with some senators and our state legislating to get some bills pushed through. And it successfully got passed through the state and then went to the governor's desk to vote. And he voted what would have been on Monday. He voted in, signed it in. And so now smoke lounges are going to become the big thing. Vegas is going to be a little Amsterdam pretty much. It's the U.S.'s version of an Amsterdam. But you know, there is still stipulations to it. I know there's like some 1500 feet from a casino. So dispensaries get first dibs on the smoke lounges, which most of them are pretty much the ones that are going to do it or already plan to do it. They bought retail locations that were going to basically accommodate these smoke lounges and build out into these smoke lounges. But if I was a smoke lounge owner, I'd have to buy my cannabis product through a dispensary and not going directly to the production people or the wholesaler. I actually have to use the dispensary as the middleman for my supplies. It's very similar to like microbreweries and stuff like that, selling their own brewed alcohol. They actually have to sell it to a distributor and then rebuy back their product to sell at their own brew house, which is right next door to where they're making the beer, you know. But yeah, Nevada's legalizing and smoke lounging coming very soon. I know a lot of dispensaries are already right now getting things going, getting construction permits already operating and yeah, be good times. <laughs> be good. When he legalized it, is there like a timeline? I mean, like you said, soon, but obviously selfishly, I'm coming to Vegas in a couple months for some shows and I want to well, know when these smoke lounges are going to be in action. They're still working out some of the details. I, I know there's a lottery system. I know we try to push for some social equity aspect to happen in with issuing licenses out to some smaller minority players and stuff like that, that are not these big dispensary guys. It didn't really get a whole lot, got some out of it, but it wasn't really ideally, I think, what everybody was kind of collectively wanting. It's Nevada. Taxing here is, is big money, so it's all heavily relying on the money. But there is a smoke lounge actually here operating, and it's fantastic. It's a great dispensary. It's on the Indian Reservation, but it's called Nuwu Cannabis. They're right off of Main Street, right by Old Vegas, right there. But they got an awesome smoke lounge area in there. You can go in and reserve your own time slot. And they got different packages that you could buy. You can get a couple smoking devices. And, you know, I think uh, they got some Jerome Baker custom 
glass bongs that you get if you buy a certain package and stuff like that you get to take with you. So really cool experiences and stuff. I would say the next five years in Nevada, the cannabis industry is definitely going to see a new face. It's going to have a whole new appeal to it. And it's going to be exciting. It's going to be a lot of opportunities for a lot of people to get involved. So it's good. I'm dying to know from you guys, what was your favorite takeaway from that? Was there something that was shocking to you? Was there something that you were like, oh my God, holy shit, I had no idea. Because I feel like the more that I dive into education and specifically the vape category of the cannabis industry, it's really fascinating just understanding how everything is manufactured, how it's really isolated overseas from a manufacturing perspective, as well as how that trickles down into the quality and the efficacy of these cannabis-related vape products. And so, yeah, nothing should really shock me anymore, but constantly learning as much as I can. And yeah, I'm just curious, out of everything that Tyler shared, what was the biggest takeaway for you? Feel free to connect with me on social media at the Shada Tarabi or at To Be Blunt Pod on Instagram or find me on LinkedIn. I'd love to hear what you learned from this episode. Thanks for tuning in. I will be back next Monday with another new episode. And if you're new here and you love this, feel free to go check out the other 54 episodes that I've produced. My guests are timeless. They're knowledgeable. There is so much value in all these different conversations that we're having and hope that you can learn a little something from the To Be Blunt podcast. So thanks again and see y'all next week. Bye. Love this episode of To Be Blunt? Be sure to visit theshadatarabi.com slash to be blunt for more ways to connect. New episodes come out on Mondays. And for more behind the scenes, follow along on Instagram at theshadatarabi.com.